Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That was dreadful. Before we get into the uh, Patriots game from yesterday in Dallas, which was just absolutely brutal, legitimately made me physically ill. I was up all night sick last night, and I blame. I blame Mac Jones and the Patriots and Bill Belichick for that. My sickness overnight. It's your fault, New England Patriots. It's your bad. Before we get into this dreadful game and some of the things that we saw play out and why I feel like this loss is different than many of the other losses that we've seen over the past few years, I do want to let you know. Drew Holiday, obviously a Boston Celtic. Gigantic news yesterday for the Seas. Brad Stevens pulls the trigger on the deal. Rob Williams, Malcolm Brogdon picks to Portland. Holiday back in return to the Celtics. I had a special breaking news live episode of the podcast yesterday. You can check that out. Apple Pods, Spotify, and of course on YouTube as well. We broke it all down. And we'll have plenty more to say about that trade and the Celtics coming up this week, including the debut episode of Cattles on Causeway, which will hit you on Wednesday, a Celtics exclusive podcast every Wednesday during the season. All right. Pats lose 38 to three. And this loss, my first takeaway, the biggest takeaway for me with this game is that this loss felt different. This loss felt different than the 29 losses we've had to go through post Brady. It just felt different. This is the third straight year the Patriots are one and three to start their season. Not what you want to be. Again, they're 26 and 29 post Brady. Not what you want from this team. They have been mostly unwatchable, especially on the offensive end. Just an unwatchable product for the majority of the games minus Brady. But this, this was different. Yesterday was an indictment on Bill Belichick. If you did not feel like many of us have felt over the last year or so that this thing is slipping away from Belichick and that he has had a number of issues as a personnel guy, he has had issues with the game operation. If you didn't feel that way before yesterday, I would say welcome to the party. Jump on in. The water is warm. Because yesterday certainly felt like an indictment on Belichick, how he has built this team how this team performs or lack thereof against good teams. The fact that you still have penalties, you have dumb mistakes, you have turnovers, you just have bad football. And that really has been the issue with this team since Brady left New England. And last night was just me sitting down thinking about how this was a shining example of Belichick not getting the job done. This was the largest loss of Belichick's 29-year head coaching career. So his worst loss as a head coach felt awful. Felt like there was nothing redeemable about that game. By halftime, it felt that way. Just didn't feel like there was any reason for anything. And if I'm Robert Kraft, and I try not to get too far ahead I try not to suffer from hyperbole, but I'm human. Every once in a while, I'll get emotional and over the top, and I'll be screaming and ranting and, and raving and yelling about something. I, I get as passionate as anybody, and sometimes when you have passion, it will blind some things, right? I try not to get too far ahead, but that is the type of game yesterday that has to. If he wasn't already thinking, and I think from his – prior conversations and discussions with the media at times over the past couple of years, I do think that Robert Kraft has had some idea of we might have to move on from Bill in some kind of way here, whether that's personnel, whether that's him being head coach, whether that's both. 
there's been that conversation. You have to believe there's been that conversation. And Kraft in the past couple of years has tried to put some pressure on Belichick. But yesterday, Jerry Jones in Jerry's world, 425 kickoff, most of America watching this football game. Your chance, as we talked about last week, to change the narrative surrounding the Patriots. You win that game. You're 2-2. Two and two. You beat a good Dallas team, a team that many pundits will tell you should be contending for a Super Bowl title this year. You beat that team yesterday, and you could change how everybody looks at this team. And all of a sudden, you feel like, hey, they're turning the corner. Yeah, it was an ugly win against the Jets last week, but it is what it is. Division rival, tough defense, tough weather, blah, 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 blah. They played two good teams to start the season. They played them well, and now they just went down to Dallas and took care of business and beat a good team. Your opportunity to change the narrative. Instead, you only worsened what people have been saying. You've only worsened what we have seen over the past you know, three going on four years without Brady. And if you're Robert Kraft, I have no idea how you watched that game yesterday and you don't say to yourself, if this doesn't turn around dramatically, and quickly, we need significant change within this franchise. I have no idea how you watched that. That was humiliating yesterday. That team was humiliated. That team was dominated. That was a hopeless Sunday. That was a joke of a game. And we'll get to the quarterback, but there are much bigger issues at hand than the quarterback. And it starts at the tippity top. And if you're RKK, I have no idea how you're watching that game yesterday. You don't get sick to your stomach and say, this just isn't good enough. It hasn't been good enough post-Brady. But this, this was a different level of horrific. It was brutal to watch. And my wife, Kelly... Uh, she, she said yesterday to me, and I, I posted this on X at Nick C radio. If you want to follow me, not there, right here <laughs> at Nick C radio. Um, Kelly said to me last night, watching Bill Belichick, and this is more of an MMA thing. You MMA fans will get this, but watching Bill Belichick feels like watching Chuck Liddell at the end of his career. And Chuck Liddell, if you don't know about MMA, was a, a great UFC fighter. He was a champion. He would knock dudes out the Iceman, Chuck Liddell. And Chuck got knocked out. And for the rest of his career, Chuck pretty much got knocked out. And, and he, he kept fighting. He kept losing. And everybody watching was saying, it's time to hang it up. It's time to, to just stop fighting. And Kelly looked at me yesterday and said, watching Belichick coach this year is like watching Chuck Liddell continue to fight and continue to lose. And I think it's a great analogy from my wife. It's tough. It's tough to watch. It Outcoached. And just think about that for a second. Outcoached by Mike McCarthy. McCarthy is not a good coach, folks. He is not a good coach. And this team was outcoached by Mike McCarthy. And also Dan Quinn, special shout out to him, defensive coordinator. He is a really good coach, really good coordinator. But on, on a football Sunday... Mike McCarthy is out coaching you. Not just out coached, outplayed, outclassed. To make matters worse, Christian Gonzalez gets hurt. Matthew Judon gets hurt. The reports are that Gonzalez, that injury is a dislocated shoulder. Judon has a, a partially, at least partially torn biceps. Who knows if you're going to see Judon the rest of the year? 
He's only your best defensive player. Who knows how long Gonzalez is going to be out. We've talked about him and waxed poetic about him. One of the true bright spots of this team through the first three weeks of the season. Who knows how long he's going to be out. It could not get worse. Or, or, I shouldn't say it. I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I should learn the lesson. Obviously, it could get worse. I thought we saw the worst until yesterday's utter disaster. Incompetence at every level. Outcoached, outplayed, outclassed, embarrassed, dismantled, dominated, humiliated. In front of almost the entire football world to see. If that ain't the bottom, I don't know what the bottom is. And by the way, your quarterback gets sat down because he can't get out of his own way. Let's get into that. Mac Jones, his awful performance yesterday. I remind you, like, rate, review, subscribe. If you're watching YouTube, I see these videos, 300, 400, 500, 900 views. If you're watching this video and you like what you're watching and listening to, just take a second out and give us that thumbs up. The thumbs up helps us an awful lot with YouTube. It's an algorithm thing. More likes means more eyeballs. Trying to grow this community and build this brand, the Nick Cattle Show, and I need your help to do that. So like, subscribe, rate, and review if you're on Spotify, if you're on Apple Pods. Give us some love there if you truly enjoy what we do. All right, let's move on to Mac. There's no sugarcoating this. And if you've listened to me before, I am in the camp of what we have seen on balance over the past three years has not been on Mac. It's mostly been on Belichick. And we'll dive into that in a little bit because we have more anecdotes from that disaster yesterday. But I've also told you I'm fair. I criticize when criticism needs to be thrown at somebody. I give credit to people when they deserve the credit. It's not hard. Give credit when it's deserved. Give criticism when it's deserved. Be as fair as possible going week to week. And yesterday, there's no denying, there's no debate that Mac Jones was awful. He was hideous. That was his worst game as a Patriot quarterback. And I would say by far. Now, they were down before Mac went real bad. They were down already, and we saw some of the same mistakes from the team, not Mac, from the team before Mac really turned into a freaking pumpkin and just fell completely off the rails. But he gave his team no chance to rally and come back by the half. He took them further out of the game. And there is no, absolutely zero excuse for what you saw from the quarterback yesterday. You can't make those kinds of decisions. You can't tuck and run and be clueless to follow behind you and fumble the football, which, re- which ends up being a scoop and a score. You can't throw across your body across the field and throw a pick six when everybody watching that game knows exactly what's going to happen before you release the football. Unconscionable decisions by your quarterback. He stunk. He stunk out loud. Decisions sucked. He was careless. He looked sped up. And what I saw after the fumble was a quarterback who didn't trust his offensive line. Even though the offensive line was not giving up pressures every snap, the quarterback was reacting like the offensive line was giving up pressures every snap. Mac had PTSD in the pocket yesterday. He had PTSD from this offensive line in the first three weeks. Now the offensive line, at times also fell apart. And again, as I always say, 
you know, watching a game live, it's really difficult to figure out pressures and all of those kinds of things, right? Sometimes you'll watch a game and you'll feel like the offensive line played better than it did when you look at the numbers and you go, holy crap, Mac was pressured on like a third or more of his dropbacks. There was some of that yesterday. There, there was one instance where the Cowboys pressured Mac Jones within like two seconds of the snap, rushing only three guys. That's ridiculous. That should never happen in the NFL. You should never get pressure on a quarterback at all rushing three guys, let alone in the first two seconds. That's inexcusable. But back to Mac, He played like a guy that had no trust in his offensive line. He played like a guy where the game just sped up on him. He tried to do too much. And what Mac is not as a quarterback is a guy that's going to put you on his back. I've said that from day one. I am not delusional about Mac Jones and his ceiling. I've told you from day one. He's a 10 to 15 guy when you rank quarterbacks at his best. That's what he is. He's not somebody who's going to say, jump on my back, fellas. I'm going to carry you. And he, he's not a toolsy elite quarterback. He's not somebody who has a, a, an absolute howitzer for an arm. He's not somebody who is special, specially gifted athletically. He's just not that guy. Mac Jones has to stay ahead of schedule. He has to, oh, well, he has to stay on schedule. He has to stay ahead of the chains and he has to make good decisions. That's, that's what he needs to do as a quarterback. That's Mac at his best. Good decision-making on schedule and ahead of the chains. Because what happens is when Mac tries to do too much, he doesn't have the elite skill set to make those kinds of plays consistently. He's just not going to do it. I mean, Patrick Mahomes last night is the perfect example against the Jets. Mahomes wasn't good. He was not good last night. But when you had an absolute have-to-have-it play, he had the ability thanks in part to a ridiculous hold that wasn't called. But, you know, Mahomes has that ability to escape and make a run and just get enough yardage for a first down. Mahomes can struggle throughout an entire game but have one third and long and somehow, someway survive a pass rush and throw it across his body with a flick of a wrist and have a 30-yard completion that helps save the game for his team. Those are special qualities. Those are special skills. Mac doesn't have that. And if you're expecting your quarterback to be great or to be special or to be elite, those are unreasonable expectations. What Mac needs to do is make good decisions, take care of the football, play on schedule, and play ahead of the chains. That's what he needs to do. That's what you need from him. You don't need Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes-level ridiculousity. You just don't need it. And he tried to do too much. He didn't trust his offensive line. He clearly got rattled, and things went bad. And he, he fell off the cliff because of all of those factors. So Mac Jones, there is your good five to six minutes of dumping all over him because that's what he deserves after yesterday's game. He was horrendous. However, Mac Jones is a symptom of, of a larger problem. Somebody actually posted that to me yesterday, and I forget who it was, but credit to that person. It's, it's absolutely correct. Mac is a symptom of a larger problem, and it's a problem that we keep seeing week after week, year after year post-Brady. And a perfect example of that is the second interception that Mac threw. Now, a lot of people got upset, so that's a terrible throw. What is he doing? 
go back and watch that second pick. It's fourth and two. I believe it's fourth and two or fourth and three. Let's just call it fourth and short. Fourth and short, you're desperate to convert. You're trying to stay in this game any way that you can. Number one, no receiver can get separation on this fourth and two. And Dallas knows that. Dallas plays man coverage. They get aggressive up front. They send extra pass rushers. Because guess what? When you can play man on the outside receivers because you have absolutely zero concern for them, it allows you to be aggressive. We've talked about this before. For all the people that are joining us for the first time, we have talked about this in prior podcasts. And we talked about it last week. We talked about how the Cowboys played more than 70% of the defensive snaps in 2021 in man coverage. And they did that because they know your receivers can't beat them one-on-one. Trayvon Diggs wasn't even in this game. Trayvon Diggs was watching this game like you and I were watching this game. And still, with Trayvon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore, who is not the same guy, Diggs out, Gilmore not the same guy. And that secondary that they have, the Cowboys still said to the Patriots, we're going man against you because your guys can't beat our guys one-on-one. So go back and look at that fourth and short play. Dallas playing man, Dallas being aggressive and sending extra rushers. Nobody can get separation on that fourth down. By the time Mac has Micah Parsons in his face, Devontae Parker is not even in his route. He's just starting what looks like to be a fade route deep. Parsons is in Mac's face. You don't have the safety valve in Ramondre Stevenson who leaks out of the backfield because guess what? Your running back has to stay in the backfield to block the extra pass rusher. So you lose the safety valve on that fourth down. You lose your running back because you have to block With your running back, he's got to stay in in pass protection because your receivers don't have enough respect across the game. And the Cowboys said this in the postgame. They watched the film. They played the way the film told them to play, i.e. their receivers aren't good enough. They can't separate. We can play man. Let's lock them up and let's send all sorts of hell towards Mac Jones and eventually Bailey Zappi. So Ramondre has to stay in and block. You have absolutely zero separation from any receiver. Everybody's covered. You got two tight ends going out. They're covered. Juju's pretty much covered. Has a little bit of space on his little out route there at the chains, but not much. And Devontae Parker, again, is running (laughs) downfield with no chance to make a play. Max getting pressure in his face from Micah Parsons. The pocket's collapsing. He has no safety valve in a running back to check down to. His receivers aren't open, so he has no Good choice there. It's fourth down. Max either going to take a huge hit and take a sack. He's going to chuck it downfield and hope for the best with Devontae Parker, who's not even, not even really into the route just yet. Or he's going to do what he did. He's going to, he's going to throw it towards Juju Smith-Schuster's way and pray that something happens. And again, it's not to excuse Max game. I just dumped on him. He was terrible. But we're talking about the larger problem that is affecting this offense. The reason why Max trying to do too much at times and then falls off the rails like he did yesterday in that putrid performance. You have wide receivers that can't get open. You got an offensive line that's been leaky. It's the same stuff. And whose fault is that? 
Is that the quarterback's fault or is it the guy who's been shopping for the groceries? I, I think the answer is clear. Brady told us in 2019, remember when the Patriots began 2019, they were like 8-0 and and everybody was throwing the parade. Everybody was super excited about the undefeated Patriots and Brady went up to the podium and everybody thought that Brady was being too miserable. He was being too negative. Why is Brady mad? His team's undefeated. He's won so much. Brady told us in 2019, the reason why Brady wasn't excited, he wasn't pumped and jacked after that start in 2019 is because Brady saw what all of us see now. He didn't have enough. He simply did not have enough to compete at a high level. It happened in 2019 to the best quarterback in the history of the game, to the best player in the history of the game. It happened to Brady in 2019. And when he stood up at that podium and told us all, and told us all that that team wasn't good enough, we all thought Brady was being delusional. We thought Brady was being too hard on himself. He was being too much of a hardo on Bill Belichick and the team. Uh -uh. What Tom Brady told us in 2019 was that this team didn't have enough, and it still hasn't had enough. Think about this for a second. Brady was so desperate in 2019 to find a weapon that could separate and help that he took Antonio Brown in as a roommate for a little while. Think about that. Antonio Brown. We've seen what's happened with Brown since 2019. Brady took that guy in as a roommate because he was so desperate to have help. And we see the same things happening with this team this year that's happened since 2019. Not enough. Not enough help. And that is a Bill Belichick issue. That is the larger problem. Here's something else I want you to all think about. Pharaoh Brown yesterday had more snaps than Pop Douglas. You have these receivers that can't get open. They can't separate at the line of scrimmage. They can't separate at the top of their routes. It's been an issue for years and years now. You have Pop Douglas, one of the only guys we've talked about this. Yes, he messes up some routes. Yes, he makes rookie mistakes. Yes, he fumbled the ball a few weeks ago. We all understand that. But he's the only guy that's got some juice at the line of scrimmage. He's the only guy that's got enough shake to separate at the top of his routes consistently. And you had Pop Douglas play less snaps yesterday than Farrow Brown. What the hell are we doing? It's the Patriots were down 31 to three. Do you want to know who they had on the field offensively down 31 to three? This is your holy crap. We need to come back in this game. We're down four touchdowns. This is what you had personnel wise offensively down four touchdowns on the road to a good team. Farrow Brown, Hunter Henry, Mike Kosicki, Devontae Parker, Ezekiel Elliott. Your Honor, I rest my case. Nick Cattle Show, Apple Pods, Spotify, YouTube. Don't forget to comment. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up as well. It's always appreciated. The more thumbs up, the more likes, the more eyeballs, which means an awful lot to us as we try to expand this brand over the next several months. Some other issues that stood out. And some stats that are just crazy. The last 16 games against playoff teams, the Patriots are 3-13. and 3-13 and 13 against playoff teams in the last 16 games. Now, those three wins against Miami with, without Tua Tungavailoa, against Tennessee without Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, and the Buffalo wind game, which is obviously an anomaly, just one of the craziest games you'll ever see from a weather standpoint in NFL history. Those are the three wins. Aside from those three wins, with all of those caveats I just gave you, 
This team's lost 13 straight games to playoff teams. They're 3-13 and 13 in the last 16. And if you think that they're being competitive, they've been outscored 449 to 282. They've been outscored by like 170 points in those 16 games against playoff teams. Whew. Outclassed. Not even in the same universe. Something else that made me very upset. Why is Matthew Judon in the game? It's 31 to 3. You're down four touchdowns. You have zero chance to come back in that game. And Matthew Judon's out there late in the game, relatively speaking. And look what happens. He tears his bicep. Or at least a partial tear of the bicep. You likely lost your best defensive player because he was playing snaps in a game that you were down by 28. That's on the coach. That's awful. It's inexcusable. And I, I know your counter, some of you will say, well, football players play. Give me a break with that stuff. L let me give you an analogy. What if the Celtics were down by 30 with like seven minutes left in the game and Missoula's got Tatum out there and, and Tatum ends up snapping his ankle in a game that you were down by 30 or even up by 30? And that happened a few times last year, by the way. Thankfully, nobody got injured, but Coach Missoula did have his guys out there when it was like a 20-point, 30-point deficit or a lead. But what would you say? It's risk versus reward. You have to mitigate the risk if you're Belichick. He was playing his starters yesterday. He was playing at least some of his starters yesterday when it was 38-3. to And this is not just a numbers game, folks. And for Belichick to come out in the postgame, and give us this crap about, oh, well, you got to play somebody. Yeah, how about Anthony Jennings, Bill? How about playing Jennings instead of Judon in, in a four-touchdown blowout? How about playing guys where you can play them and not risk injury to your very best players? You had Jennings. You had Keon White. You can move White into the interior and move Wise to the outside and play him on the end. You, you have plenty of options, Bill Belichick. And that's just disingenuous BS that fans should no longer take from him. He's full of it, saying what he said. Oh, well, you got to play somebody. Yeah, just not that somebody. Mitigate the risk. Get your best, most important players out of the game when you're getting blown out. Insane. Absolutely freaking insane. Again, zero run game, 20 carries, 46 yards. Bleh. Aside from the second half against the Jets, this run game has sucked. Some of that's on O'Brien. Some of it's on the offensive line. Some of it's on Ramondre tap dancing. But they've stunk running the football for like 90% of this season. Just not good enough. Talked about Belichick not being aggressive last week. Had some people upset at me. Oh, well. Again, Lack of aggression right out of the chute. Third and one in the red zone. To me, your first drive, third and one in the red zone, you're moving the ball. You treat that as two down territory. Again, you come out. You come out and you make a statement. You get aggressive. You trust in your quarterback. You say third and one. If we don't get it on this third down, we're going to go for it on fourth down because we got to score freaking touchdowns. One of the things that our offense has actually done well is, is finish drives when we get inside the 20. And just a lack of aggression. Again, 
Third and one, you throw it to Gasicki. Gasicki got held, no doubt. Gasicki probably could have run a, a better route as well. I thought Mac threw a fine pass to Gasicki. Incomplete pass, fourth and one, you kick a field goal. Insult to injury, you also pick up a delay of game somehow. Lack of aggression, lack of urgency, again and again. Treat that as two downs. Two down territory. Get in the end zone. Make a statement. Punch him in the face. Go up 7-3. But no. Kick a field goal. Tie it 3-3. Just no aggression. No creativity. No aggressiveness. No urgency from the coaching staff. How about the uh, short yardage situation? Speaking of the third and one. The third and one. Okay, you throw the ball to Gasicki. That play works. If Gasicki doesn't get held, it hurt. It, it, it works. If Gasicki runs a little bit better of a route and gets out of that hold, if he, if he fights to hold a little bit more instead of giving in a little bit, it, it the play, it would have worked, right? But you also have Ezekiel Elliott. You went out and you signed Ezekiel Elliott because of short yardage. At least that's what we thought. Pass protection, short yardage, third down, fourth down back, red zone back. You have a third and one, Ezekiel Elliott, you don't give him the football. You have a fourth and one, Ezekiel Elliott, you, you decide to kick the field goal. Then later in the game, you have the stupid tush push, which is ineffective. Because Mac Jones is not the greatest QB sneak guy, especially with the tush push. That was shown yesterday. But you knew that already because in prior games, the tush push didn't work. The tush push just didn't work last week against the Jets, which led to the cup check from Mac. We just saw that play be an utter disaster against the Jets last week. And for some reason, you run the tush push again. You have Zeke Elliott. Short yardage back, you have Stevenson. And you run the tush push. Get stopped. Nothing out of it. Turnover on downs. Why'd you even bring in a Zeke Elliott if you're not going to give him the football on third and fourth and short? If you're not going to give him the football deep in the red zone on a third and one? Why is Zeke here? Why is Ty Montgomery here? What What is the point? Run defense wasn't good enough. You didn't get consistent pressure on Dak Prescott. You need Jack Jones and, and Jonathan Jones back stat because now Christian Gonzalez is likely going to be out for a while. And you're dealing with Miles Bryant and Sean Wade as your corners. Rough. So none of it was good. One more note before we say goodbye on this Monday. Um, I just want to say about Tim Wakefield, rest in power, Tim. Wake was a great Red Sox. 17-year career, two-time World Series champion, won 200 games over his career in the majors. Obviously, the knuckleball and all of that stuff. Innings eater. Was always willing to take a beating if he had to out there for the team. Never complained. Always the great teammate. A fantastic clubhouse guy. He loved Boston. He really was a Bostonian. I know Tony Maz talked about that last week. And Maz obviously wrote the book for Tim Wakefield on his career in life. He, he was the quintessential Boston athlete. He really was. Never complained, hardly ever complained, and did what he had to do to help the team win. He also helped the Jimmy Fund. 
an awful lot. And nobody will say a bad word about Tim Wakefield. You saw people gushing about Wakefield yesterday, and he deserves all of that. Never personally met the guy, but have heard a lot of people speak very, very highly of Wakefield. Even when nobody's watching or listening, I've heard a lot of great things about him. So God rest, rest in power, Tim Wakefield. Uh, should never be forgotten for what he did for the Boston Red Sox and should never be forgotten around here in Boston and should never be forgotten for the community work that he did and uh, the, the great human being that he was. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a sad day losing Tim Wakefield yesterday. It was, it was rough. So there you have it. Again, we got the Celtics podcast up about Drew Holiday. We did a live episode yesterday during the breaking news. You can check that out, Apple Pods, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, you can like, rate, review to this pod. Subscribe to this pod always helps as well. We appreciate every single one of you. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, aside from some breaking news, like if this if Brad Stevens pulls another deal out of the hat. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. More Patriots. We'll dive into some Celtics. We might even sneak in some Red Sox as well. Uh, until then, it's the Nick Cattle Show.